Get ready, Avalanche territory. It's now time for the Mile High Hockey Podcast with Mike Evans on your home for the most Avalanche content. Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. Hey, everybody. Welcome into the Mile High Hockey Podcast. I am uh, your host, Mike Evans, joined this week by... I love chopping it up with this guy. The one and only Matt Smith joins me now. Matty, how you doing? It is I, Mike. I'm good, man. I'm good this morning. I am I am basking in the hockey season because everything else has been so damn disappointing, Mike. <laughs> yeah, the Avalanche have not been disappointing up until this last game. The right. one against Winnipeg. and, yeah, and we're, it's one of 82. Well, I, exactly. I, I was curious to get your, your take on it because... I, I think what we've what we've seen here is these were the kind of games that we figured would would pop up during the course of this season. And and I guess maybe the reason why they didn't occur earlier was because this team really did kind of carry the momentum of winning the cup into this year. But I think that now that we're settling into the long grind, the big eighty two, that you're probably gonna see a few more games like the one we saw the other night sprinkled in. Yeah, I think you will. And not to mention how injured they are and how banged up they are, right? I mean, Landeskog and Nachushkin out in and of itself, not talking about Helm or Byram or McDermott or go down the list of who's on the IR. It changes every day, right? It feels and Evan Rodriguez. I think it's you're missing two critical elements of what you do on both ends of the ice, both on the forecheck and the back check. And you're putting a lot of pressure on guys who haven't really had that level of responsibility in those areas before, especially for this team. And so there's going to be some bumps in the road. But also, as we know, this is a one-line team right now. And on a night-to-night basis, it has been special teams that has carried the avalanche, right? And then when your power play is not scoring, it's tough for them to score five-on-five typically at the moment until they get some of these pieces back. So up until now, really, it was their power play, which is the NHL's best power play, that's been carrying them. The other night in Winnipeg, they didn't get any conversions. It was a Tuesday night in late November in Winnipeg. Those are the ones I always expected it to be hard to get up for. And as you mentioned, they were kind of riding the wave of winning the cup. But I think more than that, I, I really think that's in the past. And I think as you're looking at it, you like, like we're talking about, you've got an 82-game season. You're not going to get up for every single one of those when you know what lies ahead, you know, coming in the postseason. And so especially when you're so banged up, those are the games typically when you don't have your A game when Landeskog will make a big play at the end of the second or beginning of the third and give you a little bit of life, but the Avs never got that, and they couldn't cash on the power play, and they got blown out. Look, Winnipeg was a team last year who performed under expectations, but that's a talented club. Not to mention they've got the Dallas Stars' old head coach and Rick Bonus, who for some reason has always had the Avs number. So not all that surprised. Winnipeg's playing some good hockey this year, and like you said, there's going to be nights like this, especially without key contributors in the lineup. So to be quite honest with you, they, they had more activity. When you go look at the advanced numbers, there's no reason they should have lost that game. They ran into Connor Hellebuck, who was having a great night in net for Winnipeg, and that happens. It's an 82-game season, and you just flush it and move on. 
you know, I, I, I had heard some people talking about, well, you know, is, is that the right approach? It's soft. I'm like, look, just just relax. You know, this is a this is a long, slow burn here, and all those guys on the roster know it. I, I'm not concerned at all, especially after this team just did had an undefeated road trip last week. Yeah, and, and for the people who might be concerned, my, my response to them would be, okay, so what, you want to put more of a burden? You want to ask more of Rantanen, right. McKinnon, McCarr, Lekkanen, Taves? Uh, right. They've already been carrying a big load. You want them to carry more of a load in November and December? Really? Do you want? Do you want they got them shut out five and zero? Oh. Should we start shopping, McKinnon? Well, not not shopping, but more. Do you want? Do you want them to try to exert themselves even more, or oh, maybe I trade everyone? No, or no, no. Up, more you know? more along yeah. the lines of do you, do you understand that? Hey, there there is something to the idea that there's nothing wrong with these guys picking their spots a little bit during during the, the this part of the season, and I'm fine with them picking their spots. And if they're going to be some nights that they just don't have it fine i don't want the big five to feel like they have to uh, exert themselves just to try to get them through november and december while they're waiting for reinforcements so if they're going to be some games like this mixed in fine let me ask you about winnipeg do you think winnipeg could be this year's st louis in terms of uh the team out there in the in the west that maybe stands up to the abs a little bit and and makes them work a little bit you know, it's interesting. The Avs have never played well in Winnipeg. I think in their last 20 trips, I want to say they're 6-12-2 in that barn. It's just never been a place they've played well. Winnipeg was really cold the other night. It felt like 7 degrees with wind chill. Like I said, it's a Tuesday night. You know, I think Winnipeg will be in the mix for playoffs this year. I think as long as they can stay healthy and they get the goaltending all year out of Connor Hellebuck, that they've got enough talent to definitely make playoffs and they're a much better coached team do i think they could be this year st louis not really because when you get landis cog and Natushkin back and then you add patrick kane at the deadline <clears throat> i'm just speaking that into existence <laughs> again this year uh I, I i'm not i'm not too worried about it i mean look vegas is better and back again this year there's some other teams that are making noise seattle seattle yeah. is a Fun team, and Andre Burakovsky, as as much grief as I gave the guy, he's showing up every night in Seattle, which would have been nice if he did that here in Denver, <laughs> but he's had a nice year to start for the Kraken, and they're a fun team. So there's definitely some interesting clubs to keep an eye on, and I think the West is a little bit more revamped than it was last year. You brought up St. Louis. St. Louis had a bit of a winning streak there, but they're not the team that they no. were last season. No. So I, I, I do think Winnipeg could be one of those teams that ends up taking a spot, yes. Gabe Landeskog, back on the ice, skating, and kind of right right along the time frame, the timetable that we've looked at all along with his potential return. Are you still thinking Christmas, New Year's for the captain? Yeah, absolutely. If not, you know, maybe the first week in January. But what a great, what a great step it is that he's back on the ice. Helms back on the ice. You know, I think McDermott was doing some puck handling at practice today. And then Nachushkin, I think, is slated to start skating here pretty soon. So about another month or so, and we should start to see reinforcements come along. And then you really talk about the second part of the season when you're fully healthy, and that's when you can start making your push. We also have to remember the Avs have games in hand on some of these teams, right? So because of that Finland trip, they took the you know extended period of time off before the trip and after the trip. So they have some games to make up. And, yeah, I think it's right. Everything is right on track. And 
I cannot wait to see number 92 back on the ice. With every passing game, I gain even more and more appreciation for what kind of player he is because there's just so much stuff that he does every single night that doesn't show up on the stat sheet, and his importance can't be overstated. Go into those. What what are the things that you have um, found yourself appreciating more in his absence? I think it's just his willingness to do whatever the team needs, the dirty work, be a big presence in front of the net. I felt like the other night, Connor Hellebuck, great example. Connor Hellebuck was seeing the puck really well, right? The Avs outshot Winnipeg all night long. They had more activity. I wouldn't say their chances were necessarily higher quality, but sometimes in those games when you just can't beat a goaltender, you need to find a way to park that traffic cone right in front of the net and make it tough for the goalie to see around and hopefully get a greasy one, right? We saw the postseason run where Nachushkin and Landeskog and even Kadri to an extent were really effective in front of the net right on the doorstep. And, and that's just one thing. You can't move Gabe. He's a big guy. He's an excellent, excellent rebounder. He'll put back anything that the goalie gives up. He's great at tipping the puck. And I think more than more than anything, he's kind of captain clutch. There were so many different games last year where the Avs needed a big play. And in a big moment, he'd just step up when they didn't have their A game. And then, of course, on the, on the back check, I mean, I think one of the things the Avs are struggling with right now is they get into these periods and these lapses where they struggle to get the puck out of their own zone because they're not active enough defensively and they're not, they're not, there's not enough sense of urgency on the defensive zone breakout. And I think when you have forwards like Landeskog and Nachushkin who are constantly buzzing around their own zone in an effort to get the puck broken out of the zone, then you really start to see, well, okay, you're relying so much on McCarr and a guy like even Taves and Girard to really kind of push the pace when in reality you don't have those big Clydesdales in your own defensive zone not allowing the breathing room for these other teams. I think one thing that Bednar mentioned the other night is it wasn't the volume of chances that bothered him. It was the quality. The abs are letting these guys walk down into the slot, walk down into the zone, because I think you're asking so much of your top-end players that are still in the lineup that it's tough to bring that for 60 minutes. So when you have you know, your horses buzzing around your D zone like that, it really makes a big difference. And I think Gabe's an underrated passer. And more than anything, just for the mentality in the locker room, we've seen Josh Manson step up on the ice and kind of be the enforcer in Gabe's absence, right? Now that McKinnon learned his lesson after fighting Matt Dumba in Minnesota last year and breaking a finger before playoffs. He can't do that stuff anymore. And now in his 10th year in the league, I think he finally understands that. And credit to Josh Manson, who stepped up and kind of taken that role on. He scrapped the other night, and he tried to scrap in Winnipeg, but they wouldn't let him go. And, and you know, that's just one thing. Gabe doesn't bat an eye at that. You know, that's, that's what happen, having the C on your chest means. He's a leader out there. And, and, you know, like I said, every night, more and more, as the grind starts to wear on, that's when you really rely on your big power forwards to do the dirty work, puck retrievals along the boards, get things out in front of the net, and, and look, lead this team. I think that's what they're missing to, in a, to an extent, right, to an extent. I think leadership, is, it's not like it's not there, but it's just a different element because nobody else can replicate what Gabe brings. Visit with Matt Smith, joining me here on the Mile High Hockey Podcast as we uh, chop up all things Avs. Gabe had 30 goals last year, career high, had another 11. During... And, that, and that is with the surgery. 
Imagine if he never had that surgery and finished the regular season. He probably finishes with 40 goals. Yeah, 30 goals. And, yeah. and could be the leading goal scorer. Well, that's where team. I was going. He had 30 goals in 51 games. Are you are you much of a believer in in shooting percentage and and the idea that there is um that there is a direct correlation to what a guy does when it comes to goal scoring or is it there more of a randomness to it and and, and let me explain it this way that yeah. Gabe had a career high last year with 30 and 51 games his shooting percentage was was 20% which was far and above a career high for him and it was really a, an outlier and he continued it on in the playoffs he was uh, close to uh 19, 19 and a half, 20 percent shooting percentage in the playoffs as well. So the goal, the, the 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 puck was going in at a very high percentage for him that he hadn't had before. Is do you subscribe to randomness when you look at that that kind of stat, or is there something to the idea that maybe he's playing the game or he's he's refined his goal scoring techniques to the point where he's scoring on a higher percentage of shots? Well, I will say last year for Gabe, I think he did improve his shot. There were some more pucks going in from long range than we're used to seeing from Landeskog. But more than anything, I think you see the high shooting percentage. I kind of equate it to a center in the NBA. Nikola Jokic shooting percentage is what, like 60 70%, right? Because all of those shots are from in close. So for Landeskog, a lot of those goals are rebounds, right? Mm-hmm. Where, where you're shooting into an open net and you're not taking as many shots because you're waiting for the puck on the doorstep and you're trying to be the screener in front of the net. So um, I don't, there is also an element of randomness to it. But I think more than anything, if you're putting pucks in a good location where you're comfortable, more often than not, that's your best route. Like, for instance, McKinnon this year, at the beginning of the year, I felt like was taking way too many shots from far away. I felt like you're giving too much time for the goalie to see the puck into his mitt. And instead, lately, what we've seen is Nate try and mix it up and score from different levels. So instead of constantly looking for the one-timer from the right circle, bring it in and deke the goaltender and make a few moves. And we saw it, we saw it that night in Washington with that gorgeous goal where he fluttered it over Darcy's mitt. By the way, I could not be more appreciative of not having to watch Darcy Kemper on a nightly basis after we watched that Washington shutout. I mean, look, thank you for the cup, but also my it's good for my heart health having Alexander Georgiev there. Right, right. Uh, not, not we're, we're not in a position yet where you want to be too nitpicky uh, about the ass, but let's let's pick a few nits right now. Um, okay, JT Comfer. Uh, are you disappointed in what you've seen from Comfer, Comfer thus far? Uh, he hasn't missed a game, but uh, only one goal. One goal in 20 games for JT Comfer. Were you expecting more from him this year? I was, especially early in the year. They need production, and they need a guy who can step up in those greasy areas like we've been talking about in the absence of Landis and Chushkin. Now, that being said... Just about everything else he's doing on the ice is playing a huge role. And I actually was kind of doling out a little bit of criticism, I think, a few weeks ago on online about Comper and just saying, look, this is his contract year. They need more out of him. There's, you know, that's the bottom line. He was really good in the postseason and scored some huge goals. I think about that one coming out of the penalty box in Edmonton to end the game. I want to say it was like game three, maybe game four. I can't even... 
I can't even remember which one it was at this point, but he, he's come up with some really big moments for the Avalanche, but Comfer's never a guy who's going to fill it up. The problem is, is they need some of the talent they have on the ice to play above their bridges right now. And I don't think he's doing that, but at the same time, he's not necessarily being asked to do that on that line with O'Connor and Cogliano. It's more of their checking line. It's more of, you know, he, he's been a, he's been a critical penalty killer. So while I'd like to see more production out of him, certainly with some of these guys out of the lineup, I can't crucify the guy because he is really important to what they do, especially on the penalty kill. And lately the avalanche, I mean, and we, and maybe we'll get into it here, but the avalanche have been getting dominated in the face-off circle. I mean, they are losing the face-off circle by 10 plus a night. And we knew that coming into the season, that that was going to be a concern without Nazem Kadri, who was their best centerman as far as it comes to draws last season. McKinnon had a few games where he really kind of picked it up on that end. But lately, and I'm pretty sure the Avs lost the face-off circle to Winnipeg the other night by 10. And then the night before it was by 20, like the, and, and one in that game. So, you know, that's that's uh, certainly a conversation as far as it comes to trade deadline and second-line center, but Comfer's had to step up on the power play. He's on power play one right now without Evan Rodriguez. So I have been disappointed. I expected more, especially in a contract year. And look, I don't think they would move him, but he, but he isn't expiring. So I think it's something to keep an eye on moving forward. You know, it's funny because I'm with you, and I, I've always kind of – I don't know if it's a, a new age of hockey analytics that have permeated the the game, but it seems to me, correct me if I'm wrong, but there are some who devalue the importance of winning faceoffs. I've always been one that thinks that winning faceoffs and having good faceoff people is a big deal. I, I don't know. Call me silly, but being able to possess. Are you talking the, about Sandy Clough? Well, <laughs> he's not the only one. But but to me, it's like, hey, wait a minute. You're 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 talking about possession of the puck, and yeah. especially yeah. when you're talking about in the attacking zone, being able to win a faceoff and what you can immediately do, and in your own defensive zone, uh, winning a faceoff and immediately what that that allows you to do to get out of your zone. So it, it sounds like you and I are in lockstep with this, that face-offs still are a huge, important part of the game and a huge statistic to follow. Huge, huge. I'll give you a perfect example. When the Avs beat Carolina on the road in the second game of their season series and they got outshot by 33 and they lost the face-off circle by 20, Jordan Stahl, their captain, was 24-3 and three in the face-off circle. 24-3. I've never seen anything like that in my life. It was probably the best night in the face-off circle I've ever seen, and it created so many extra possessions for Carolina. And when you're talking about an avalanche team that has this much pop offensively, especially when it comes to ozone draws, right, draws in the offensive zone, that's what allows you to set up your, your cycle and sustain ozone time and that's one thing I think the avalanche have struggled with this year I, I I haven't exactly looked at the numbers but just by watching every second of this team I can confidently tell you 
that the majority of this team's chances are coming off the rush at five on five. Definitely not because they're setting up the cycle, getting pucks deep and working things around. Now I'd like to see them do more of that, especially shorthanded, really make an effort to get pucks deep in the zone and try and create some offense from behind the goal line. So uh, yes, you and I are in lockstep here and the avalanche will have to address it. They have no choice. No matter when Rodriguez comes back, Landis Kognachushkin, they have to get better before the postseason in that area, and they don't have that guy on the roster. So if it's one guy or two, we saw them add two centermen last year at the trade deadline, and you know they really haven't brought up any of these AHLers that have caught on with some traction, even though we knew that was probably going to be the case. But yes, they have to find a way to get better. It is a critical part of the game, especially in your D zone. When we talk about ozone, in the D zone, you win a faceoff, you can get easier zone exits and you can clear the puck faster instead of suffering some of these lapses where you're talking about long shifts where your guys can't get off the ice for a change and you're pinned down in your own zone because you've got dead legs and you can't win a faceoff. So the other team sustaining ozone time, and that's quite frankly, when we've seen Alexander Georgiev this year do some of his best work because there have been too many moments like that early in the season. Nothing where I'm you know, sounding the alarm, but it's certainly an area of concern where I think over the next few months as you get Landis Gaga and Nachushkin back, hopefully that helps. The other thing about Gabe, Gabe is a guy who you can stick in the faceoff circle and, and is still their best centerman, right? So they, they would certainly be using him in that regard, especially in the offensive zone if he were healthy right now. Well, it, uh, it should be a fun one uh, coming up on Saturday as the uh, Avs will be in Boston to play a, a Bruins team that is absolutely... We're just skipping over the Sabres, huh? I'm skipping over the Sabres, yeah. I'm, I'm telling you, right, can I tell you something about these Buffalo Sabres? I, want, I got a homework assignment for you. Find a way to watch a Sabres game. That team is young and talented and fun. Give it a few years in Buffalo, and they have something cooking. They've got this kid, Tage Thompson, who I think he's like 26. He's a centerman. He's like 6'8 and has some of the filthiest hands in the league. I really, really enjoy watching that Buffalo team. A quick a quick digression. That is not going right. to be as easy of a game as you think it might be. All right. Well, although as, as we're recording this, they – played last night and won on the road uh, in overtime against Detroit, which is a good win because Detroit's been actually playing pretty well. So we'll see the Avs get Buffalo traveling on a, on a back-to-back. But, uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that uh, g- that game in, in Boston as uh, yeah. the, the Bruins uh, have been – Maybe the surprise team in the NHL. A lot of a lot of folks thought they were they got they moved on from Bruce Cassidy and they uh, they now have Jim Montgomery, the former DU Pioneer coach. Who I've yep. always been a huge Jim Montgomery fan, and I'm glad he's getting another chance. Hopefully, he's put some of the uh, the, the, the personal demons behind him. And boy, he's making the most of his second chance uh, with uh, with the Bruins right now. He really is, and that was a team that dealt with a lot of injuries and actually got some players back earlier than expected, and that was kind of the narrative heading into the season for the Bees is that, hey, look, we'll see what they can do until they get some of these guys back, but it may be really ugly. Well, they just set a record for a winning streak at home to start a season in NHL history, I think, with 13. So you're talking about a, a really talented team, and that's their. this is their last hurrah. Yeah. In Boston, yeah. right? With yeah. Krejci and Bergeron, Bergeron and yeah. Pasternak and, 
you know, I, speaking of Boston, Pasternak is going to get paid. He, he's one of the best players in the NHL, and he is a blast to watch. They actually play Boston, I think, Saturday and yep. then next Wednesday. Yep, out here, here at home. Yep. So maybe we'll catch you at Ball Arena for that one. That'll right? be a, that'll be a fun one to uh, to watch. Uh, good good games, and, and if 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 we know anything about this Avs team, they they tend to play up or down to the level of their competition, and I think maybe going into that environment on uh, Saturday in Boston should be a charged environment, and I bet you see the Avs deliver uh, what passes for them these days, their their A game. So it should be a lot of fun. Matt, always a pleasure chopping it up with you. We'll do this again very soon, but uh, thank you very much. All right, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. All right, there he is, Matt Smith, who you hear on, on the fan, filling in. Now he's writing columns at denverfan.com. He's doing it all. Notice I said column, not a blog, uh, because I respect the writers. So thank you very much for listening, everybody. That'll do it for this week's edition of the Mile High Hockey Podcast. We'll see you again next week.